Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And the title of the message is called uh, Muddy Methods and Tangled Truths. Kind of playing off the fishing theme that uh, that Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I want to start out with a couple of uh, funny fishing stories. I didn't come from a real fishing family. Uh, but one thing we did when I was a kid is we would go camping and we would go to this one particular campground called Wilderness Lakes and they had all of these ponds that were stocked regularly with catfish. And so we, my dad made sure that we each had a rod and reel and, and, uh, and dad would love to help us. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that dad was an extraordinarily patient guy, but when we were fishing, amazingly, a grace just came on him. And he would just, man, he, he would set up our rods and reels. He would untangle lines. He would make sure we had the right bait. He would sit with us and help us to understand some things. Um, and, and then he would just laugh his head off, you know, when we thought we had the big one and we reeled in a log or reeled in, a, you know, a bunch of something else that somebody threw in, in one of the ponds or, or we reeled in each other because sometimes, we, you know, casting, we'd, we'd hook each other. And, but he was always super patient. But, but I just remember as an adult looking back realizing, I don't think dad really fished much. And I don't think we really noticed or we really cared. All we wanted to do was be out there on the lake with dad catching fish. And that's all that really mattered. And somewhere along the line, I don't remember dad actually saying this, but, but I can go through in my mind and I can think of example after example after example. Somewhere in my mind, or in, over time, dad transferred the, his strategy for fishing. And it was pretty simple. In fact, it was a strategy like everywhere else uh, that he just lived. And his strategy was number one, find the right spot. And he would just be like, look, you know, just don't plop something and pay attention kind of understand what's going on in the environment around you, and then use the right bait. What are you trying to catch? What are you trying to accomplish? And and then then he just got straight to it, and he would say, get your bait wet. Less talking, more fishing. And then the last thing he would tell us is, keep your bait wet. Be patient. Let what you put into effect, let the bait do the work. And, and we kind of grew up and took that same philosophy into lots of other areas of our life. But, but that one kind of stuck with me and really came back about 30 years later when Deb and myself and our family first moved to South Carolina. Now, we, we have most of Deb's side of the family here with us now. Uh, my nephew Matthew's sitting right here on the front row and it's part of the story that he doesn't know I'm about to tell. Um, but... But I remember when, when Debbie's side of the family all first came to visit to see, you know, what, where are you, where'd you guys move? All the way from the West Coast, all the way to the East Coast. And, uh, and they came with all the cousins. In total, there was nine of them. And they all wanted to fish because we have a pond in the back of our house. And they all wanted to fish. And we realized pretty quickly we don't have enough rods for everybody. So, you know, here they are. The, the ages are somewhere between 14, 15, all the way down, you know, to five or six. Or, and so they all want to fish. So we're trying to get them to be patient. And we're trying to get these rods and reels set up. And everybody was doing their best, you know, not to fall in the water and not to disturb everybody else. Everybody was waiting patiently except for one. Matt, Matt Anderson. 
And Matt Anderson and Matthew Tillery were kind of a two, two peas in a pod there in terms of being innovative and creative. Oftentimes, their, you know, their impatience as, as kids would, would lead them to something, but their ingenuity would, would sometimes make it come out right. And on this particular occasion, Matt, Matt Anderson was not going to wait. He happened to look over in the tree and saw that some other fisherman had got his line tangled up and just left a big ball of line with a hook dangling on it in the tree. So while everybody else is waiting for the perfect rod, I don't want that one, I want this color, and I like that reel better. Can we put that reel on this rod? No, we can't do that. And they're trying to get everything set. Matt takes the string out of the tree, untangles it, grabs a little worm, sticks it on the hook, and plops it in the water. And Matthew Anderson is the first one to catch the first fish. Not only that, Matthew Anderson's the first one to catch the second fish. Because while everybody else was trying to make sure they got the right thing in the right place and it looked just right and I don't like that color and I, but I really like this because I think that went, well, how come they get that rod? Matt just fished. And that, that's when looking back, I realized, you know what, Matt, Matt used my dad's strategy, even though I didn't, I didn't even really understand it enough to tell him then. But Matt just looked around and said, hey, I'm pretty sure there's fish in this pond. I mean, Uncle Gil said there was. He's caught fish in here before. And we've got plenty of bait right there. And Matthew just grabbed what was first available, broke off a branch, and he just got his bait wet. And then he kept his bait wet, and Matthew Tillery was catching fish. Well, I kind of want to use those illustrations today to come back and help us to see something. And that's this. I, I think we've made this whole witnessing thing really complicated. Like, like so complicated that some of the stuff even that scripture gives us, we put more stuff into it and it becomes so complicated that a lot of people just kind of back off and feel stressed and feel pressured and feel awkward about it completely unnecessarily. I'm not saying that we don't have our flesh to contend with. We do in every area. Listen, following Jesus is counterintuitive to our self-centeredness. It's going to tell us this is how we live in the kingdom because this is what's going to bring you the life you always wanted and never knew it, the way God designed it to be. But we're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to work in our life and transform us to get us to do what oftentimes our flesh does not want to do. But the wonderful thing is, once we begin to move our flesh under submission, and we begin to say Jesus is the Lord, and the Word of God is the authority, and we begin to learn to do that step by step by step by step, all of a sudden this flesh gets in line. And the things that you didn't want to do now become things that you regularly enjoy. In fact, you miss them if you don't get to do them. Some of you have experienced this with your time with God was really challenging at first. Man, so many things just constantly interrupting and so many things to do and hard to kind of clear your head when you wake up in the morning when you got already got appointments and you got, you know, business matters and you got personal things and all those things are bombarding you to learn to push all that aside and say, Lord, I need time with you first. That was difficult. But some of you got to the place where you've done it to the point now where it's what you get up, you're passionate about. It's the first thing you do, the first thing you're looking forward to. And if something does happen and cancels that out, you miss it. Well, see, that, that's the power of the Word of God and of the Holy Spirit literally changing who we are from the inside out. And this is what Jesus promised that he wants to do, except for we have to begin to recognize that 
The Bible tells us what to do. Here's one scripture that we can apply in so many areas, but it certainly applies to sharing our faith. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not, did not, did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. Okay, so that, that's what he didn't give. So if you feel any of that, you know right away, well, that's not from God. In any area, anytime you feel a twinge of that, insecurity, you know, well, that's not from God, but God did give us a spirit that has power and of love and of sound judgment and of personal discipline. And the expanded uh, definition in the Amplified Bible says, abilities that result in a calm and well-balanced mind and self-control. You know what else God gave us? God gave us anointed people that have helped us by writing materials that walk us through and kind of show us some of the step-by-step mechanics and, and even some very helpful methods about how we can better share our faith. In fact, here's one of my favorite examples in case you'd like to read something about this. Uh, Rich Richardson takes a whole different twist in this book called Reimagining Evangelism. And he talks about how the Holy Spirit's constantly moving to try to bring people into the kingdom. And if we're, if we're sensitive and if we'll pay attention, he kind of brings us into the journey with them. In other words, they're already on a pathway that the Holy Spirit's leading them down. And we suddenly kind of join their journey for a moment or two. And we have, we have something we can add to the journey. And then we might walk back out or we may walk the journey with them for quite a while. But, but instead of thinking like we've got to be the one to introduce this cold call, cold turkey, and we're trying to figure out how to bring up the subject, hey, weather's really nice, look at those clouds, God made the clouds, hey, speaking of God, see, we, we try to manufacture this stuff and it just gets really weird. Instead, we learn to join the conversation that the Holy Spirit has going. And it's a wonderful book that'll set some people free just, just from all the anxiety and, you know, and kind of feeling like you've got to get super awkward. But, but this is a helpful tool, right? And yet, understanding the scriptures and with all the helpful tools, we have to be really, really careful that we don't put so much into this that witnessing becomes so complicated that the very thing that Christ said was part of our learning experience and part of our ability to contribute to the kingdom and to bring other people in doesn't get lost. And the message, the simple message he gave us to bring doesn't get so complicated that we, well, all of a sudden we start distorting unintentionally. We start distorting versions of what it really means. And eventually many people become so frustrated they just discard it. Like, nope, I believe it, but I'm just not going to do that. Well, if you brought a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus spends a lot of time early in the Gospels talking about fishing for men, fishing for men. That's how he calls his disciples. But we're going to switch metaphors and use a different one that Jesus talked about. And in Mark chapter 4, he's talking about sharing the Gospel... Or we could say preaching the gospel, but that's everything from what I'm doing this morning all the way down to a conversation that might happen, you know, with, with your neighbor or around a lunch table or, or in, in a coffee shop with somebody. Sharing the gospel, Jesus is going to show, is compared to planting seeds on a farm. Now, let me just let him do the talking here in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start far down in the chapter in verse 26. It says, Jesus also said, here's another illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. Let me just stop you and say, the whole chapter he's talking about, the kingdom of God works like a farm. 
And farm has different kinds of soils and you've got to plow it up and you've got to pull out the weeds and you've got to pull out the sticks and you've got to pull out the rocks and you've got to get you know, the, the, the soil nice and, and fertile and, and in rows so that you can start planting seed so that you can get a really good crop. And the first part of the chapter, you know, Jesus actually says, you have to pay attention to this one because if you can understand this parable, if you can understand the comparison that the kingdom of God works like a farm, then you'll understand every other parable that I tell. This is Jesus talking. But if you don't understand this one, you're going to struggle with all of them because you're going to think the kingdom of God is like a landscaping company. If you can get to the right worship service and, I mean, the lights are just right and the feeling's just right and, and just at the right time you have the right, you know, motivation and inspiration and you go down there, God's just going to transplant all this wonderful stuff in your life and bada bing, bada boom, in one day you're everything you want to be. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't move in a, in a wonderful, sometimes a demonstrative way and do, do great things for us, but Jesus' word is still true. The kingdom of God, the way we grow, the way we progress, and the way we help other people works like a farm. And if you can understand that, then all of a sudden, all this Christian life begins to make more sense. If you don't, then it becomes really challenging. Well, here he's saying, after giving us a number of illustrations, all farming illustrations, he comes down to verse 26 and he says, here's another illustration. He said, a farmer planted seeds in a field... And then he, the farmer, went on with his other activities. So he, he doesn't plant a seed and then just kind of sit there and watch it. Nothing's happening yet, but, I, but I, I'm just hoping it will. He doesn't sit there. He plants a seed. He's got other things to do. He plants it and he keeps moving, right? And it says, as the days went by, the seed sprouted and grew without the farmer's help because the earth produces crops of its own. And here's how the crops are produced. First the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens, and as soon as the grain is ready, then the farmer comes back and harvests it with a sickle. Now hold that thought, hold the farming illustration, and let me just put in a couple of other references that the Bible talks to us about the seed that, the, that, that, uh, that Jesus is talking about. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he talks about the seed and he says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So the seeds are the word of God. And by the way, the word of God can't be killed. The word of God will never change. In fact, Psalm says, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will endure forever. Forever, it says, uh, uh, God says, I've established my word in the heavens. God's word will never change. And when God's word is put into our life in seed form, the power of God's word begins, begins to work just like it does on a farm. In fact, if we look between Mark chapter 4 and even what we read here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, we find out that sharing the gospel happens in seed form. It doesn't happen like you're rolling sod across your front yard. It doesn't happen like you're planting, you know, bushes that are already, that are already potted uh, in, in just the right places. It doesn't happen that the crane comes in and puts a fully developed tree right in the right place where you want to hang a tire swing at some point. That's not the way it happens. It says it happens in seed form. And it's important that we understand that because you and I will underestimate the power 
of just sharing a little tiny seed, a little tiny thought, even if it's sharing a thought or a few little thoughts and then moving on to the rest of our day. See, we assume, like, we'll, we'll share those thoughts like a farmer would plant a seed, and we walk away thinking, well, that was a swing and a miss. Who told you that? Because the farmer knows that when he plants a seed and then he's got to get busy because he's got other stuff to do, he knows as soon as that seed in that ground, something's happening. It's beginning to germinate. He can't see it. He won't see it for weeks. And even when he does see it, it'll just be a tiny little, you know, just a little green sprout over a blanket of mud. But if he's patient, that green sprout will begin to grow. And then he gets to a place where he can't see the mud anymore because the crops are so high. And then the fruit's developing in the crop. And now he realizes, boy, I've got to get back in there and get to work. See, we don't understand the power of seed. We don't understand the power of just sharing a thought, just, just a little tiny insert into a conversation. And, and we think, you know, if we don't do the whole thing, if we don't, you know, share the entire gospel and get someone saved and get them delivered right there, then what's the use of even trying? Well, Jesus said, you don't understand a farm. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the teaching or other translations say the introduction or the entrance or the explanation or the unveiling of your word brings light so that even the simple can understand it. So we have to understand, first of all, witnessing is primarily shared in seed form. The second thing we have to understand is the seed we're talking about, whether a person immediately receives it and you get a, prom, a, a, a positive response, you know, sometimes their, their, their demeanor will soften. Sometimes they'll, they'll get, you know, a little teary-eyed and you can see some emotion. Other times they'll literally say with their mouth, man, I'm so glad you said this. This is exactly what I needed to hear. But whether it's that or the other side of the spectrum and you get rejected or people are making fun of you. Or people just, yeah, they scoff at you. Like, don't give me that Jesus stuff, man. I, I've heard all this all my life. I don't even want to hear about that Jesus stuff. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. The word of God can't be killed. Did you know that, that you'll meet people from time to time? You have to listen, but when you're listening with this parable in mind, you'll, peep, you'll meet people from time to time that'll be decades later in their life. And they'll be in a certain place, in a certain environment. Maybe it's a church service. Maybe it's a funeral service. Maybe it's just a real struggle in their life and somebody's sharing the gospel with them and they'll say, you know what? That reminds me of something my Sunday school teacher said like 30 years ago. And that seed was there, but it's been laying dormant. It wasn't received. It wasn't acknowledged. It wasn't activated, but it laid dormant because it can't be killed. When you were talking to somebody about the gospel, you have no idea how many other people have already dropped seeds. You have no idea how close they are to that soil finally breaking up and the seed sliding right down in there so that germination can begin, begin to happen. We have no idea. Here's what we do know, that even a little seed at some point, if a person will open up their, their heart and will accept what God's saying and will begin to activate that, God begins to go to work and little by little by little, first a little tiny blade and then a taller plant and then the fruit begins, little by little by little, God will change their whole life because of a seed. 
And see, this is really important that we begin to understand the power and what Jesus said witnessing is all about, and it's about seed. Well, speaking of that, now that little seed, and then the farmer walks away, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the earth is producing something, and little by little by little, something's growing. Uh, let me show you also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse number 6, just for time. Paul's talking here, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, he said, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Oh, so one thing we realized right here, Paul says, I wanted to have this conversation, but I couldn't. See, again, sometimes we think that once we get started in witnessing, we've got to share everything that we know about the Bible, and we've got to get them to respond and to acknowledge right there on the spot. And Paul says, oh, oh no, there's times when even you want to share something with somebody, but you realize, yeah, you're, you're not ready to hear what I'm going to say. The timing's not right. This is not the right context, what, whatever it is. And so Paul knew that to understand. He backed off. He said, instead, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world. What? So, so here's a couple things we can notice. First of all, he's talking to believers. But there's some believers, even they're so carnally minded. They haven't done anything to grow and develop. And so you think because we're all Christians, we're all the same. And he said, no, 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 that's not really the truth. You can't, have, you can't talk to all Christians. In fact, he's telling us here, when it comes to unbelievers, people that haven't accepted the truth, even for them, you have to use a different language. You have to use different dictionaries. You can't just use the churchy words and, and assume they understand about the love of God. And they don't. You have to talk super plain. You have to talk differently to them. He goes on, he says, or I had to talk with you as though you were infants in Christ. Oh, so again, you can't even talk to every Christian the same. You're going to have to recognize there's farming and it has seeds. It's tiny little portions, tiny little thoughts. Sometimes the soil's fertile and sometimes you can see something's already growing there and you get a larger, a fuller, a more welcomed conversation. But we have to be sensitive and recognize it's not our responsibility to force something in the ground or force something to grow. We have to recognize we're gonna have to learn how to do this. He goes on, he says, I had to feed you milk not, with, not solid food because you weren't ready for anything else. So again, the way you witness depends on the person you're talking to. It depends on, and, I, and this is not complicated. This simplifies it. We're not under pressure. We're, we're trying to understand how does this conversation work? And, and I just, I, if I can get a little seed on the ground, if I can splash a little bit of water on something that was already planted. Let's jump to verse number six for time. Verse number six, Paul's talking about how he responded to them. He said, I planted seed in your hearts. These are the seeds of God's word. And then he says, and then Apollos, who by the way, you can study, Apollos was an, a highly educated and an eloquent teacher of the scriptures. And as Paul, after Paul had to depart uh, um, uh, the Corinthian church to go to the next place, Apollos came in and he began to add, he began to bring depth. He began to bring greater insight to the little seeds that Paul planted. And he goes on, he says, Apollos watered it. And it goes on, it says, but even then it was God who made it to grow. So here's the lesson. Now that we can see the whole farming, the seed planting, Paul said, I was there at the beginning. I really wanted to talk to you about all this stuff, but I realized, ah, you're not really ready. So I put a few seeds in the ground, but then I had to go 
But then Apollos came behind me and he watered those seeds. He recognized, oh, Paul's already shared some things. Let me splash some water on that and add some insight, add some depth so that it sinks down even deeper. And, and, and uh, he says, but even then he said, it was God who made it to grow. Now here's the lesson. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is God makes the seeds to grow. Now you have to hear what I'm saying. It's important that we understand it's not really important who plants and who waters. What's important is God's the one that make it, makes it to grow. That means there's no pressure on you and I for the process. Now the expectation is you're either going to be planting or watering. But it's seeds and it's understanding soil. Well, you know, I really love to share. But I, they're not really ready for that yet. Or ah, this is not really the time because they're super distracted about something else. But it's important that we're planting and we're watering. But listen to me. Ultimately, God's the one to make it to grow. You're not pressured to make anybody believe anything. That's not your job. Your job is to get the seeds in the ground or when you recognize someone's open and there's a thought and an idea that somebody else has already given them to water that and, and to bring additional insight or, hey, you know, that, that's interesting you used to say that because I experienced the same thing. And you bring your testimony to bear how Jesus has, has, is, is changing your life using that same kind of truth. And then he goes on and he says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together, not always at the same time, not always in the same place, not always in the same way. But we're all in this succession. We're all in this journey. We're all somewhere in the process and the Holy Spirit's orchestrating this so that seeds are being planted and soils being softened and water's being applied and then he's making it all to grow and at some point as it grows and grows and grows, somebody gets, gets called to go sit down with a person and you actually get to yield, you actually get to pull in the crop. And say, boy, it sounds like you, you're, like, you're like right there. It sounds like you just need to make a decision to accept. What if you do that today? Would you help me? Absolutely, I would. But see, we're all in this process together. And it's not everybody is planting and watering and growing and harvesting right there. Sometimes you get to do that or it seems like you get to do it. But according to the scriptures, that only, that's only because you showed up at the right time. The Holy Spirit's been working on their heart. There's probably a long line of people. Who knows for how long that's been working on this and you show up. It says uh, that we're working together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work for we are both God's workers and you are God's field and we are God's building. All right, so that's kind of a scriptural foundation. Give us a little bit to go on. Let me give you, first of all, two misunderstandings uh, that make witnessing more difficult. Two misunderstandings, and we're not going to take a lot of time on these, uh, but they're super important because they're going to untangle some stuff. Uh, first of all, I, I want to emphasize again, and I'll keep doing it. We're all going to have to contend with this self-centered flesh, right? None of us want to do what we don't want to do. And for a variety of reasons, maybe it's just, you know, the inconvenience of the time. I'm busy. I just don't want to take the time. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm tired. I don't want to get into that conversation today. Or maybe you do have a real hang up uh, about sharing your faith. And I'm hoping that these series are going to help you to unpack that and let the Holy Spirit help you to repack it. But we all have to contend with the discomfort of doing what we don't want to do. But I'm talking about Christians or the Christian culture, well-meaning culture. I mean, well-meaning. 
adding expectations to it that are not really there. I'm just going to give you two this morning. Here's the first one. That witnessing only happens in the public place with unbelievers. Not true. Not even scripturally right. That's the one we point to. Because remember the Great Commission says preach the gospel and I'm putting Matthew 28 and Mark 16 together. Preach the gospel and get them baptized and then make disciples. Win win the lost, right? So we think, okay, so the preaching the gospel, the witnessing part, that's getting people saved and then they come into the church and we forget that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we become witnesses. Not just to people that need to get saved, but we're, we're still planting seeds of discipleship and of growth in one another's life. And so there's this misnomer that we, we have to be, you know, the only place we can ever be the witness for Christ is outside the walls of the church. Now, again, I'm threading a needle here. What I'm not doing is giving permission to say, whoo, I'm glad he said that because I only want to stay in the church. Well, well, no, it's the public place. It's go into all the world, not stay inside, uh, you know, of, of our four walls. Go into all the world. But it's important that we understand, Paul says, I, I'm, I, I'm exercising this sharing the gospel principle, this farming kingdom illustration. I'm exercising this in 1 Corinthians with believers. And I'm realizing I, I can only plant a few seeds here. I can only plant a few seeds over there. And it's important we begin to understand that because, listen, we, we first start out in the secret place and we're listening to the word of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit's watering and planting new seeds and helping our, our heart to get softer so we'll accept new insights that are kingdom insights. All that happens in the secret place. And then we come into the gathering place and, and those seeds are watered or maybe the Holy Spirit uses to introduce some things and we take those back to the secret place and, and all that's important. But we learn to understand and to articulate and to get fired up about about our faith in the secret place and then in the gathering place. This is why connect groups are such a big deal. It's not just so you can be blessed. Connect groups are important to sit around with other people that are, you know, at your stage and your age maybe and, and going through the same things in life and say, well, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but how do you get that going in your everyday life? And you hear how they did it. And you hear how somebody else tried it. And that didn't work too well. And you're like, ah, that's totally what I did. And, and you're learning to chew it up and to articulate your faith. And as you get into those groups and you're learning to talk spiritual things and to work out, you know, you get the, you, you get the, right, the, the right approach and the right mindset and the right vernacular. Guess what happens? You'll be at the lunch table with somebody and somebody will bring some up. You're like, you know what? It's interesting you used to say that. We were just talking about it at the McConnect group. And now you've got the mechanics, you've got the language, you know how to, how to say it. Yeah, one of the guys said he, he tried it this way, I did too, I totally messed that up. But, but somebody else was going through the same thing it sounds like you're going through, your, your seeds. Witnessing doesn't just start when you walk outside and you go to some strange public place and you're gathering up the nerve. I'm not saying it doesn't include that, but I'm saying it doesn't start there. I'm saying we, we build the mechanics and the spiritual abilities to do this uh, so that when we get to the public, so, so it's not just that witnessing's only for the public place. You can find so many scriptures and we'll, we'll see a few in just a minute. Here's a second one though, uh, and this is as far as we'll go this morning on what, how we complicate it. And, and I'm gonna have to qualify this one a little bit. So let me say it and let me back up and fill in the gaps, all right? There, there's a misnomer that every Christian is supposed to boldly share their faith in public. Now, don't write me off yet. 
hold on. I've already said, I'm not saying that we don't have to go into all the world. But there's this misnomer to take examples in the Bible like Peter, who stands up on the day of Pentecost and who heals a man in Acts chapter 4, and then he's drilled by, you know, the Sanhedrin, and he boldly declares, you know, I know what you're saying, but I'm going to do what God says anyway. And that, so there's Peter. But we forget about all of those other people that were there in Acts chapter 2 who were gathering in their small groups every single week. And as they were doing that, they were praising God and they were learning to have community and connection and do life together. And, and as that was happening, the anointing of God was swelling in the gathering place and the apostles were, were experiencing deeper and bigger stuff with the Lord. And the Bible says somewhere in all of that, hey, we're just doing connect groups and we're doing gathering places and we're allowing the Lord to use us, the Bible said God added to the church every single day. Yeah, and, and maybe there were big crusades. I don't know, maybe everybody was hitting the local eating establishment and, you know, and, and preaching it up. And I'm not saying that's not, that's, that's not part of it. What I'm saying is that we, we all feel pressured to fit in this one mold. And yet the Bible tells us that God made a very diverse group of people. In fact, let me just read it to you so you don't think I'm making it up. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now, the first thing we have to understand is what God requires of us. Again, it's not allowing the flesh to dominate us or to create these little hiding places. So we're like, oh, I'm so glad he's preaching this because I don't have to witness. I knew I didn't have to witness. No, that, that's not at all. In fact, listen to Romans 12.1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let, him be, uh, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now listen to this. And don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Stop. Is it possible? Is it possible that the customs of this world include the religious traditions of the church world also? Is that possible? Is it possible that an attempt to help people that we've made, we, we've kind of created caricatures and said, if you're going to be a witness, it's got to look like that. If it's at least possible you have to kind of take it with you and say, well, Lord, it, is, that, is that kind of part of this? Let's read on. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect for you. And by the way, that includes becoming a disciple, which includes witnessing. We, we have to let the Lord transform us. Verse number three, because of the, Paul, Paul now builds on that, that because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Now that's a really interesting phrase in the Greek, and it comes from this Greek word that, that literally transliterates and says, don't overthink your gifting or your ability. Or another, another part of the definition is, don't think of yourself in an overconfident, or listen to this, an overimportant way. 
Now hold on to it. He goes on, he says, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And that's a different form of that same Greek word. But here's what he says. No, think sensibly. In fact, some translations say think soberly. Don't get all intoxicated with, with, how, with the gifts you have and, and the way the Lord's developed you. Don't, don't get you know, egotistical and say, well, here's the way to do it and try to get everybody to do it your way. No, he says don't do that. Think soberly. Think balanced. Or here's what it says. Think in, in a way that, or, or think with inside the proper measurements or with inside the set boundaries. Think about those things. And he goes on, he says, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given you. Now that's what he set up, right? So first part, surrender to the Lord. Don't try to say, I'm going to do this. No, no, surrender everything to God and trust him and let him step by step from the good to the more pleasing to the finally, the fully mature. Let him transform you into who he's created you to be. Second thing Paul says, now, if you understand that, don't think of who he's creating you to be as the model for everybody. Don't do that. He says, but think balance and think soberly. And now in the very next breath, he says, and this is what I'm talking about. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other in his grace. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. You'll find the, the exact same definition, only with some, some different and maybe some uh, more in-depth descriptions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Not only that, you'll find example after example. I've given a couple of to you already. But again, Acts chapter 2. We have 120 people that gather in the upper room, including Peter, who 40 days earlier denied the Lord. I mean, ran away cussing and, and angry because he was put in an awkward position and he didn't want to be a witness for Christ. And he actually quit and left and he went back to his old job to fishing. And Jesus had to come after the resurrection and have breakfast with him on the beach and say, I need you to come back into this thing. Come on, I forgive you. I, I know that it was, a, you know, it was a big fail there, but we're going to redeem that. He's in the upper room. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost comes and Peter stands up and preaches the sermon of his life. No notes, no preparation, but the Holy Spirit does something in him and all of a sudden he realizes, you know, I've got something to say here. And as he talked, organized thoughts were just coming and flowing and he just kept talking and talking and talking. No doubt at some point, Peter's like, where's all this coming from? But he just kept talking and when he was done, 3,000 people were born again. Same guy 50 days earlier who said, yeah, I'm not doing that. And then we just kind of keep moving on from there. In the very next verse, verse number 42, he preaches for a good long ways. And in verse 42, the Bible says that all of these new believers start gathering in groups, connect groups, and they're, they're learning about the apostles' teaching, and they're breaking bread together, having communion, but also, you know, sharing meals, and, and they're doing life together, koinonia, common unity, community. They're doing life together, and they're praying, and they're praising God, and all of a sudden, God begins to move more and more and more because people are leaning in until you get to verse 47 and the Bible says that was kind of the formula and, and the Lord added to the church every day, every day, every day. Why? Everybody was out there storming the gates like Peter? No. Nope. No, but listen to me, but they weren't running away either. They weren't hiding in fear. They weren't saying, yeah, we just lobbed that whole witness thing off. That's not part of us. Listen, they were all coming out and saying, well, God changed me. 
Lord, help me to know how I'm supposed to do it. I'm not a Peter. And by the way, we know that's acceptable because in Acts chapter 4, Peter's back there again. He prays for somebody, and then he's preaching a message, and then he's being grilled in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin kept saying, these guys, what guys? John was standing right next to him, didn't say a word. Not one word. Unless it's assumed that he's in the crowd, and you know, Peter would say something, and people would look at John, he's like, yep. He's right. He's right. Listen to me. He wasn't standing up front boldly and, you know, confrontationally, but he wasn't running away. He wasn't allowing a cancel culture in that day to twist him in his convictions. John was finding his opportunity. In fact, we find that the way John became a witness for the Lord is John wrote more books of the Bible than anybody except for Paul. And he built and enriched the body of Christ. He was constantly in these witnessing situations. Seemed like, you know, he shows up here and he shows up there. He's in the council of Jerusalem, but he's not doing the fighting and the yelling and the argument. John had a little more of a non-assuming, a little more of an introverted, I'm guessing, a little more of a passive personality. And John let the Lord transform that and blossom. And he became one of the greatest witnesses for Christ, but it looked nothing like Peter and nothing like Paul. I'm trying to get some things across to you to help. Because listen, if if we just preach the Peter-Paul thing, which are glowing, wonderful, exciting examples, and I know people that emulate that, but if that's all we preach, then the rest of the body of Christ who says, I'm not cut out that way, then it doesn't take very much for you to just say, I'm not doing that ever. And yet that's not at all what the word of God says. In fact, let me just read this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 says this. This is all that I have learned. This is Solomon writing, right? This is his, his sermonette. He said, this is all I've learned. God made us plain and simple, but we sure have made ourselves very complicated. Boy, we, we fuzz this line up. We muddy things up and we, we're doing it with, with the best of intention. We're just trying to get, you know, be passionate or we see how we do it and we're trying to get everybody to do it like that or really what we want. And I, and I say this, you know, in, in a very uh, sincere and a very affirming way, we want somebody to affirm, I'm not talking about getting the applause of men, but we want somebody to affirm that we are engaging the things of God. And so if we're not careful, we'll start comparing. Well, you know, like 1 Corinthians says in, verse, in chapter 12 says, well, yeah, but I'm an eye. You have to be an eye. Well, no, I can't be an eye because I'm an ear. Well, which one do you want me to be? How about if we each be who we're supposed to be, but we're all contributing to the cause of Christ? Nobody's leaning backward in insecurity. Nobody's holding on to the flesh. Everybody's open up saying, Lord, my life is a sacrifice for you today. Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, trusting that he's the one who made you and he's going to help you and empower you to be the best you that he's called you to be. So, this so important that we understand this and I'm telling you, some of you will exhale once this drops into your heart and say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll begin to open up conversations with God. I'll begin to engage a little more in my conversations with my spouse, with my family about what the Lord's saying. I'll jump into the connect group thing, or if I'm already in, I'll start you know, get, giving something, putting something on the table from time to time. And when I'm out somewhere else, I'll let the Lord prompt me. And I'll start engaging and wrestling with that. I won't just lean back and say, nope, not my job. That's for the Peters. That's for the Pauls. Well, no, it's all of our job, but in different ways and in different facets. 
Now, got a little bit of time left, and so I don't think this one uh, requires as much teaching, although I would love to, to just give you a lot of stuff for it. But here's the second reason why I think we, we really uh, struggle unnecessarily in the area of witnessing, and that is we, we have this unclear understanding of the simple gospel. You know, one of the things about the message of the gospel of Christ is it's so simple that literally by design, anybody can share this. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to memorize a bunch of scripture. You don't have to know the books of the Bible. And you, all, all, just tiny little message of good news. And anybody can share that, the, the gospel. And the other reason it's important that you understand just the simplicity of the gospel. Because I, I can almost guarantee that every single one of you have met. Maybe you can call the person to mind. Someone who is either rejecting Christ or is reticent to step into Christ, but when you listen to them, you realize, oh, you're really not rejecting Christ. You're rejecting some distorted, super complicated version of what somebody told you it means to be a Christian. So, listen, we, we, Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one sacrifice, Jesus perfected all of us. Phase one, born again, we get birthed into the family, right? The doctor says, it's a son, it's a daughter. And all the angels of heaven, yay, God's got another, another child, another, another son, another daughter. So one is born into the family. And then the rest of Hebrews 14 says, in, in one sacrifice, God perfected us. We were born again saved so that now we can become holy. Or I'll say it this way, so now we can grow up and we can mature and live our lives and become productive citizens for the kingdom. We understand this in the natural but when it comes to spiritual things, especially witnessing, we just cram it all at the same time. And so do a lot of other people. And they don't understand getting born into the kingdom is the first and most important step so that everything else can be worked out as God helps to grow and shape and set your life free and heal you and change you and restore you. But listen to me, as wonderful as all that is, it has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. In fact, here, here's some things that people kind of carry with them and they use it as an excuse, right? Well, I can't, I can't become a Christian be, because some people think that being a Christian means that you, you have to go to church. I work on Sundays and, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm not really that churchy thing. And listen to me, being a Christian has nothing to go, with, to go to church. We just finished a series about how important the gathering place is and how we should be in person in services as often as possible. But being a Christian has nothing to do with whether you come to church or not. That's the growing part. That's the shaping part, right? Becoming a Christian has nothing to do with that. Some people think, well, you know, to become a Christian means I got to get my life together. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, the reason we become a Christian is because we can't get our life together. Jesus knew that. God knew that. So he sent his son to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. But you hear lots of people say, yeah, I just got to get my life together. It'll never happen. That's a failed strategy. You've demonstrated it to yourself all this time up to this point. You'll never get there. That's why Christ came. You have to get saved. You have to be rescued. You have to be born again. I, I grew up thinking that uh, being born again was praying a prayer. And, and I'm not trying to dismiss uh, the church I grew up in. It gave me so many wonderful things. But at least I walked away with a notion that if I could just get people to say what we call the sinner's prayer. If I could get them just to say the words, right? 
then, hey, that was an accomplishment, and I would check a box, you know, I got someone saved today because they said the words. But really from the scripture, even though we do get saved by praying a prayer, praying the prayer is only the kind of the, the, the result of something that you believe in your heart. Something that you've accepted in your heart and you're ready to allow Jesus to become the Lord. That's what brings salvation. Not just saying the words or repeating after somebody. That, that really doesn't work. And here's the last one. I think the one that's the biggest hang up for people is people say, well, I can't really become a Christian yet because I'm not ready to give and they'll list something up yet. So, so I just say it this way is that people think giving a Christian means you have to give everything up to the Lord. Now, now I'm, I'm splitting hairs here, but I'm doing it scripturally. The Bible says that we're shaped. The Bible says that progressively, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we just read it, we become transformed, and we live a life that is pleasing, and then just exciting, and then finally fully matured with the Lord. All along that way, we are learning to die to ourselves. We are learning not to hold on to something that we think is bringing us happiness or bringing us identity or bringing us security. We're learning how to give things up all along the way progressively. Listen to me. It's not so much, salvation is not so much what you're willing to commit to God. It's you recognizing how full and, and rich his commitment is to you. That gets you saved. Everything else is shaped Everything else is discipleship. Everything else is growing and, and, and becoming more and more the way God wants you to be and really down in your heart the way you want to be because that's how you're wired. See, we, and we have to understand this because you're going to meet people and they say, well, I just don't know if I can accept Jesus. And they start listing all this stuff. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody's asking you to do that right now. All I'm asking you is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? In fact, there's four quick truths that we're going to look at, and they're all found in John 3.16. Let me just walk you through. John 3.16, we all know this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have ever, everlasting life. Here's the, the first question that you have to know in order to see the simple gospel. What does a person need to know in order to get saved? And let me tell you what it's not. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the names of the disciples. It, it's not the Apostles' Creed. It, it's, it's not any of those things. Listen, a person needs to know two things, and they're right here in John 3.16. They need to know that God loved them so much that God did what people who love somebody else do, he gave. Those two things. God loves you. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've just got to, I, I know that. I get that part. We were all there. But I want you to know God loves you so much that he gave. In fact, the first thing that, that you need to understand, God loves the whole world. Did you know how many unbelievers, how many Christians who live with this mild understanding or, or a, a tormenting understanding that God's constantly mad at them or constantly disappointed with them? And, and I know because I fought it for years. I was a Christian. I was in Bible college, and I'm still fighting this feeling like I can never do enough, and God still isn't proud of me, and whatever I do, yeah, but you could have did it a little more. You could have did it, you know, a little harder. You could have been a little more consecrated, and the answer to always, always that was yes, 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 I could have, I could have, I could have, but I'm growing. But Christians get this idea that, that God's just constantly, he tolerates them. Somehow, they snuck in the back door of heaven. And they're sitting in the folding chair right by the door just waiting any minute that they might get kicked out. 
And yet the Bible says, no, 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 God, God didn't just love you. God so, so loved you that he gave the most precious thing he had and he gave his only son. And if we could begin, again, a seed. You don't have to convince them, but a seed. I was in a, 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 um, a convenience store one time. I almost called it a liquor store, but that's my old school stuff. <clears throat> but I was in a convenience store one time. And, uh, and I, 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 honestly, I wasn't even thinking. This was like an automated response, kind of one of those out of the abundance of your heart things because I wasn't intentional. I want to take credit for, and I was a witness. I, I was, but kind of by accident, right? So the guy in front of me, uh, he's talking. He's just lamenting about this and that and something else happened. And then, you know, this happened on this job and then the car broke down. And he's like, you know what? I've just come to this absolute understanding. God hates me. And I don't know where it came from because I'm usually not that guy. But all of a sudden, I just said out loud, that's not true. And both him and the cashier turned around and said, what? And that's when I realized, oh, I said that out loud. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, said, I, I, I just think somewhere along the line, you got some really bad information because that's just absolutely not true. Yeah, but you don't know my life. Well, no, but I did know mine. And I also understand the Bible. Listen, let me just say this. You can't sin hard enough for God to stop loving you. You just can't. God does love you. And in fact, he's waiting for you to turn around and say, okay, I surrender. And then the Bible says he'll come and he'll begin to help and to heal your life. And we, you know, we walked outside, we had a little more conversation. He still wasn't ready to receive the Lord, but I got to plant some seeds. And again, I did it totally by accident, at least the first part, because it was all about God love you. In fact, if you'll read the next verse in John three sixteen, verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And yet that's what we think he did. And that's what we think our job is, right? To tell him, hey, you're, you're doing so many bad things. You can't be doing that. You know that's not wrong. And to see how can we make them feel really bad about their sin. Here's, here's been my experience, right? You don't have to convince everybody, anybody that they're sinners. They know that already. They know that. You can just ask them a simple question. Okay, come on, just be honest, okay? Are you telling me that never one time in your life that you have made a mistake or you've had a wrong attitude or you've had a wrong thought or you've done something that you knew you shouldn't have everything and he's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't, and you did it. That's never happened. Well, yeah, you know, a bunch of times. Okay, listen to me. Are you telling me that it hasn't happened in the last month? Well, well no, but I mean in a month, you know. So are you telling me it didn't happen last week? Oh, hold on for a second. Yeah, well, that, it was that one time. And okay, I'm telling you it's gonna happen again next week. Because Isaiah 55 says that every single one of us like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us have a habit of wandering away. And we needed a shepherd, but the Bible says that in that Isaiah 53, it says that God laid the sins or the mistakes or the consequences from, uh, for our error and our judgment. He laid all of those on Jesus. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. <clears throat> and, and that's all they need to know. You say, well, if that's all they need to know, then what do they need to do? Well, that's in the second part of the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. And it goes on and says that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what does a person need to do to be saved? The answer is just two simple things. You need to believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, and that he will forgive your sin if you'll let him. Now that, that, 
That's kind of between you and God because you can tell me you believe, but I don't know. I don't judge the heart. God does. But you have to really believe that that's true. And if you'll believe that and you'll acknowledge that that's true, the Bible says you'll have eternal life. In fact, the word believes there comes from the word pisteo where we get the word faith. And it means that you're convinced that something is true to the point that you'll put your life, you'll, you'll put it into your life and put it in action. Let me give you a, a super simple example. Every single one of you this morning had faith enough that the seat you're sitting on was sturdy enough to, to, to hold you up. Now, I could be wrong, but I didn't see anybody roll underneath it and check the bracing. I didn't see anybody, you know, shake the back to make sure it was in. I didn't see anybody pressing on the seat. Everybody just kind of sat, walked in and plopped in, and you put your entire weight on that chair because you believe that chair was strong enough. Believing in Jesus means you're willing to put the weight of your life and the weight of your eternity in his hands. And the Bible says if you're willing to do that, then the Bible says you can have eternal life. And here's the last point I'll make, and then we'll bring it to a close. Eternal life is this other thing. Did you know that according to the Bible, eternal life is not just the promise of living forever. It's the promise of living life to the full forever, not done, starting right now. See, so many Christians think, yeah, but one day we're going to have eternal life. You had it the moment you got born again. God came, in John 10, 10, he says, there's an enemy that came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I came so that you could have life and have it to the fullest potential. You know the truth? We're created in the image of God. Every single person on the earth, whether they're saved or not, is going to live forever somewhere. But God wants us to live forever in the fullest capacity, starting right now with him. And that's what the Bible says. The moment that you accept Jesus, the moment you believe that he's who he says he is, and you're willing to acknowledge that, then the Bible says that your sins are washed, you're birthed into the kingdom of God, and eternal life starts that very second. You begin to live the life that you were always meant to live right in that moment. Just like the moment a child is born in the hospital, they don't say, you know, at some point they'll start living their life. No, life began when they took their first breath. And they began to live the life that God designed for them, the life the parents dreamed they would. They began to live that life the moment they took their first breath. And salvation's the same way. But the Bible says we have to be born again. The only question is, how does that happen? And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. You, again, you have to believe that in your heart to the point that you're willing to say it with your mouth. And when you do that, the Bible says that you'll be saved because salvation comes when you believe something in your heart and then you actually step into it when you declare it with your mouth. Let me give you the best illustration that works for me that I know how. For some time before I married my wife, Debbie, everything in my heart loved her I, I had gotten to the place where I didn't want to imagine life without her. I thought about her all the time. If I'm not with her, I'm thinking about her. If I am with her, I'm hanging on every word. And, you know, the, 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 the minutes just are, are, are just expanding into hours. And we're, we're just not, we weren't great stewards of our time and our life. We'd spend, you know, till one, two o'clock in the morning. I'll qualify that. I was working at a church. So one or two o'clock in the morning is I was doing a project. I was painting a room. I was stacking chairs. So we weren't out, you know, somewhere else. We, we were in, in here. That, that's just what our dating life looked like. But listen to me, I could have had that love in my heart for the rest of my life. It wasn't until I stood in an altar and I declared with my mouth, 
to everybody out there, to the pastor that was standing in front of me, but mostly to the Lord, I said these two words, I do. And I took all this love and this belief in my heart that we could build a life together. And I said those two words, I do. And the moment I said them, I stepped across a line. I was no longer a single man. It's exactly what happens when we're born again. You believe that Jesus, who you don't know how it's all going to work out. You just can't imagine all the twists and the turns. And oh my goodness, I hope you know what you're getting into, Lord, because I got so much stuff, so much things I'm bringing with me. But I believe you are the Lord and the Savior to the point that I'm willing to say it with my mouth. I do. I want to be a Christian. And the Bible says, in that moment, you're born again. Listen, this is the simple message. It's so attractive. It's the best message ever for those people whose hearts are ripe and are ready to receive. Drop in seeds, water in something that's already been planted, and then just walking away and praying and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you do your job. And sometimes you're the one who gets to circle back around and you get to say, hey, listen, were you thinking about what I, what I said the other day? What do you think about that? You know, I, I, I know I believe that. What, what if we just seal that deal right now? You get to be the one to lead someone into the kingdom but it's the way God designed you. We all have to say, okay, Holy Spirit, use us, help us. Listen, we, we gave you some invite cards and we just had, you know, had fun in a film about how to not do it and how to do it. But the point is that you take some of these cards and say, okay, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to do that? Where, where does this apply? I, I'll give you a suggestion. You know, I, I'll tell you one way you can do it. Uh, find somebody that you know who's not a Christian or who's not attending a church. They're kind of, you know, drifted from God. And, and just tell them, hey, let me ask you a question. Would you give me three minutes? We're learning something at my church and, and, I, and I'm learning, you know, how to, how to share some things that I believe. And I, I don't know if I'm really good at this, but would you give me three minutes? I just want to share some things with you. And then all I want is a response. All, all I want, what do you think about, about what I shared? No strings, no pressure, no sales pitch. Just let me open this up and then share with them. You heard that scripture, John three sixteen, right? Well, it, there's kind of four truths in there that I, I don't know that I really understood that. But the Bible says that God so, so loved everybody in the world that he sent Jesus to be the savior, to be the rescuer for everybody. And for anybody who believes that, if they'll just acknowledge that, the Bible says they get to start a brand new life. Like from the moment they acknowledge that, God steps in and says, okay, let me help and let me begin to shape and, and move your life to the way you want it to be. So that's what I'm learning. It's kind of super simple. So what do you think about that? Ah, what, do you, what do you mean? What do, what do you think? Well, do, do, you, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Nah, I don't know if I believe that. How come? I'm just, just curious. How come? And I'll give you a bunch of reasons why, and maybe you can talk, maybe you can't. Well, do, do you believe that, uh, that, his, that, that Jesus came and died for you to be saved? You know, I do believe that part. Yeah, I believe that. I kind of grew up in Baptist church, or I grew up in, you know, Presbyterian church, or I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I do believe that part. Yeah, I do believe that part. Okay, well, um, ha have you thought about the fact that if you'll just accept that truth into your life? Yeah, I can't do that because, you know, I'm just not living right, and I gotta, well, yeah, but it's not about that. It's only about what do you believe and what are you willing to declare? Everything else comes after that. And are you willing to accept that today? Listen, you might be surprised. That might be kind of this unassuming, just conversational, you know, at the end say, so how'd I do? How'd I do? Yeah, it was not okay. Did you, did you feel weird about that? No, not really. You know, I appreciate that. And okay, man, because this really helped me because I'm trying to learn how to share this stuff. And, and it's so important. I, I'm just trying to learn. And by the way, uh, since you were so cool about that, uh, 
Here's another thing you could do if you would. Here's an invite card. Love for you to come to church. And same thing, give me the feedback. What'd you think about it? Is that a bunch of weird people over there? Or, or what, what, just tell me what you think. Listen, you might be surprised with that kind of tie a string around a branch and plop a hook in the water. You might catch a fish. You might be the one that someone's been like, I, I got to get back, but I just know how to do it. And you bring up this fun little warm conversation and you say, ah, just come check it out. No pressure, but if you want to come, come check it out with me. And you watch and see what the Holy Spirit does. Listen to me. That's just one example. But I'm telling you, these are the kinds of things the Lord wants us to open up. Instead of staying back, nope, not my job. I'm not going to do it. We just step out there and we start plopping our hook in the water and say, okay, Lord, teach me. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us today. Such a valuable, such an exciting, such an incredibly generous offer that you've given to all of us. Not just for people to be saved, but Lord, that you'd let us participate in that. Here you are untangling our lines and kind of setting our reels and, and getting our things in the water, Lord. And you're giving us the privilege and the pleasure of reeling people in with the gospel, of being able to share the best message that mankind knows asking that you would give us courage now, give us confidence, Lord, give us clarity, what that means for us personally, and help us to lean in and become fishers of men. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.